Hey, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of the Kill the Lion podcast. I'm Cody Clark, and with me today is a good friend of mine, a filmmaker, an actor, a performer, a, a wonderful, genuine human being, Joel Haver. You know him from YouTube, probably. He's been blowing up on there. His animations have gotten 3 million hits, going on 4 million. It's it's incredible. He, he blew up seemingly overnight. It's just been insane, the amount of subscribers he's been getting. He's well on his way to a million subscribers. When I met him, he was, you know, had maybe 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. It's, it's insane. We're going to get right to the episode, but if you like the show, be sure to let me know, let others know, link it around, spread it around, uh, subscribe. Uh, you will get podcasts pretty much every week, so hopefully you you come along on this journey of me doing the Kill the Lion podcast and uh, enjoy yourself and all that. And uh, if you'd like to support us, you know, I know this is the first episode, but, you know, it might not be the first one you're listening to if you catch us later on down the line or whatever but if you like what you hear and you want to support us go to killthelionfilms.com two dollars per month you're supporting not just this podcast but my film studio in its entirety so me making feature-length films for you great movies uh just check out what i've done you know i don't, I don't want to plug myself too much let's get into the episode with joel haver all right we are here with joel haver Hello. Good to good to talk to you again. Haven't seen you in a little bit. You've been in Massachusetts. That's where I am, my, my hometown. And you've been blowing up. Oh yeah, you could say that. I, I it's been a a rapid increase of eyes on my stuff. What what's this been like this period where you suddenly seemingly overnight but over the course of months you have what can be called a, a, a fan base now. I, I think there's, uh, you know, like everything, it's a double-edged sword because it's like, it's what I've been building towards forever. You know, I always wanted to have as many people as possible enjoying my stuff, laughing, maybe crying at some of my more serious work. And, you know, it's a more the merrier situation. But at the same time, I did have this, two-year period where I did only have a couple thousand and it was much more easy to be personal in that space you know talking to people you know I was able to read all the comments respond if somebody sent me an email or a private message I'd be able to uh you know get back to it pretty quickly but now with going on 860,000 subscribers uh, I just am not able to keep up so for all the uh for all the good stuff, it is a bit of a shame to lose that uh, ability to be as personal as I was able to be for the last couple of years. Now, would you ever play into that kind of like as a character almost? Because like I feel like prior to this huge explosion of fans, you you're kind of you know I hate the I hate the word brand, but for lack of a better term, your your energy has been very approachable and very, you know, you put something up and if somebody comments, you can respond right away and you're just kind of like very accessible. Do you feel like you need to kind of lean into like the, oh, now I'm like unreachable. Now I'm like, quote unquote, like Hollywood Joel or whatever. Like, <laughs> is, is that something that you think about consciously or is it just, you know, even though you can't talk to 
your fans as much. You're just going to always be the same Joel. You know, I'm somebody who's almost chronically incapable of being disingenuine on camera. You know, if I, I, I'm not somebody who could turn on a camera and be like, yo, what up, YouTube? I love you guys. You know, like if I say if I just sit in front of a camera, I'm pretty well just going to speak as myself. So I think, it, you know, even if I'm not able to talk to everyone and respond to everyone, I'm always going to put my truest self out there. I'll never lose that, uh, you know, that real person thing. And I think a lot of people uh, kind of lack that approach in their work. And I think that's what some people are connecting to, that I am my genuine self. Even when I'm playing the stupidest characters, I'm cracking up and I leave in the outtakes because I know I'm being stupid or I'm being ridiculous. And and uh, I think uh, the genuineness is here to stay. It's just that reachability that might have to go. Yeah, I think your YouTube kind of has this oasis quality to it in that a lot of YouTube has become samey in a way over the last maybe 10 years, which is kind of what got me to stay clear of it for a while as a creator. And I feel like you're bringing something back like a, I've, I've seen a lot of comments that are saying like, oh, this is so like 2009 YouTube or whatever. You're bringing back this kind of like before everything became a formula uh, approach um, that I think a lot of people are responding to. You know, you're one of those people where like, I, I don't ever really worry about you, you know, becoming corporate YouTube vibe. Um, I, I know you're always just going to do your own thing. So it's just like, it's this reliable, awesome thing where like, if you want Joel, you get Joel. You don't get like, you know, some version of Joel that Joel thinks Joel needs to be or something. Yeah, I think that, you know, you, you put it well. It's uh, it, like I said, I, I have a hard time putting up a front for the camera. I, I'm so used to it at this point. It's like talking to my best friend. You know, you put up the camera. It's just like, you know, it's like how I'd be around the people I'm closest to because I'm just so used to being on camera at this point. Were you always comfortable on camera? Were Is that something you always remember being or is that something that came over time? Oh, definitely not. You know, I, I was pretty self-conscious growing up. I was I was a little chubbier, middle school Joel. I was never that big, but I was chubby at times. And, uh, you know, I'd be self-conscious of that. Like I've been making like videos, films since I was like eight years old. So, um, but there was definitely a large chunk of time, pretty much middle school through the first couple of years of college where I was always behind the camera. I wasn't on camera, uh, until my web series I did, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be famous. That was my, uh, senior thesis. And um, that's like the moment that that was the transition where I started to like really put myself out there and get comfortable with like being myself and, you know, not having to hide behind the camera not having to uh, feel like I have to be someone else. Did anything you were watching around that time kind of uh, give you that confidence? Because I know I know you're a big fan of Nathan Fielder. Was there anything that you were watching that was like, oh man, that's a way in for me in front of the camera? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Um, you know, Nathan Fielder is a huge comedic influence. And I've said it before, my I'm Going to Be Famous series was uh, largely inspired by Nathan for you. And uh, 
I think the uh, the only difference is as the series went on, I, I kind of discovered my own voice because Nathan has all that like real people, very genuine feeling interactions, but he's playing a character very much so. And the series itself kind of chronicles me realizing I don't have to be a character, you know, and I don't have to be the larger than life you know like mo like people and little moments and real moments are so much more interesting which is both uh you know a step away from nathan for you but also an embracing of the more honest awkward qualities of that series much in the same way you've been influenced by things that have come before you i think i think a lot of people now are having joel as their influence especially with the animations you've been doing you've kind of opened up animation to a lot of people that maybe never thought they could do animation or thought it would take way too much time not that the absence absinthe method ah that's hard to say absinthe <laughs> method uh not that that doesn't take time but it, it does have a bit of a more accessible quality if you're maybe you know, versed in doing more live action oriented stuff. Now you have a way in. Have you been checking out the uh, the kind of animations done by people that have been influenced by you? Oh yeah, I see them on YouTube all the time. I I get recommended them left and right, and uh, I love to see it. And it is funny because the absinthe method isn't that quick. You know, it's much quicker than rotoscoping, and it's much quicker than a. Uh, more detailed frame by frame animation but in the realm of like simple youtube animation it's probably just as time consuming as most youtube animators get and um but i think what really changed it is people connected because it was a fun tutorial you know you, you you look at the official tutorial by the absinthe team and it's very logistical it's like this is what you can do this is how you do it but just putting a tutorial in a fun light like that, I think allowed people to really connect with it and be like, I can do that. I want to try that, you know, cause it's not like, it didn't feel like work, you know, seeing the tutorial video, it was, uh, just as much entertainment as it was informative. And I think that was the bridge that allowed a lot of people to cross it. Yeah. I think it made it fun. It made it exciting. Uh, it, it's a very new style, even though it, it borrows from rotoscoping and, just from regular animation in general, what would you what would you say to somebody who's maybe considering doing some absinthe as far as like what to expect, what to not be you know dissuaded by as they try you know putting the uh, animation together? I'd say like your first your first time with absinthe is going to be really messy. You know, if you go back. The first time I used it was actually a music video for my song, Ballad for You. But the first uh, like short I did with it was uh, Galactic Emperor. And I've come a long way since then. You look at that, it's all messy. I had like way too much effects on it. Like the VHS was too extreme. I had like camera shake on it and the camera was going crazy. So you're, you're going to have to slowly and surely figure out like a happy medium and it's going to get more polished as you get used to the kinks and all that. And I, I said it in the tutorial video, but um, people really should do a lot of live action as well, especially if they don't have that much experience because absinthe does take a while and you're going to, 
you know, what I'm noticing with a lot of the animations and I love to see them and I love to see people being creative is, you know, at the at the heart, the the writing and the characters aren't quite there yet. And if you're like learning the basics, like characters, dialogue, writing and trying to do animation at the same time, you're going to progress a lot slower than if you allow yourself to get those basics down through live action. I think Absinthe is a great tool to dip your toes into, uh, you know, even if you've never shot anything before, you never, you don't have experience, you know, uh, performing or something. And I see a lot of people using it on existing stuff. You know, they do the Absinthe version of other people's, like, uh, you know, as a clip from a show or a meme or something. And, and that's fun to see because it allows you to test the waters without having to film something and without having to be really good at those other basics I was talking about. But uh, I think it is, a, I lo- like I love Absinthe and I, the team actually reached out after my tutorial video and they, uh, they, were, they were super thankful because they saw a huge spike in the downloads. It was like maybe even a hundred times the amount of downloads per day went up at it. it you know, movement is the most tedious part of animation, you know, character movement and facial movement. That's the part that's like, ah, that sucks. And if, if you have this tool that kind of streamlines that it's essentially like mocapping, you know, it's like 2d mocapping. It it saves you a lot of like a hassle and it's free and it's free. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that it's free is just pretty remarkable considering what's, what's possible with the software. When when you do an absinthe animation, you know, let's say you do like a three minute or, or two minute animation, how many individual frames do you think a person would need to do to make it look, you know, quality to your level? It, it depends because you could get. I've gotten good at drawing the frames so that it doesn't need as many. And more importantly than that, you sh- if you shoot with absinthe in mind, you know, minimize your movements. Only like choose select moments where you accept that you do a big movement and then you draw more frames for that. But, you know, it really is hard to say because like how many characters are on screen, how many, you know, how many different shots are there, how many different backgrounds are there. But um, I'd say for a two or three minute video, I usually do a hundred, hundred character frames, which is pretty damn good. You know, it's not that bad. Have you been conscious of like, all right, I I have this look that people are really digging. Is is there going to be like a Sprite commercial or whatever tomorrow that just kind of like lifts it overnight and then everyone's like, oh my God, that's the Joel thing. Did Joel work on that? Or are they just taking that? Because I feel like that kind of happened with uh, Wes Anderson and with um, the guys that did Napoleon Dynamite, Jared and Jerusa Hess, where like suddenly like the commercial art world was just like, aping it like so blatantly in commercials for like Skittles or whatever else that you were like, wait a second, did they secretly get hired? Because like I know indie filmmakers sometimes need a little extra money. Is this Napoleon Dynamite guys being stolen from or are they getting a paycheck? Like what's going on? Do you think about how like this could become like a new commercial look and kind of get out of your hands? Is that is are these things you think about? Uh, it's not something that worries me. I think it's one of the things you just have to put up with in such like a corporatized world. I think if if you kind of uh, pioneer a style, it, that style is bound to be used both for good and for 
I don't want to say evil, a Sprite commercial. <laughs> Maybe it's evil, <laughs> depending on. Yeah, you're more you of know, a but, Pepsi guy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more of a Seven Up, actually, or <laughs> Sierra Mist. But uh, it, it's it's definitely um, you know something you accept because the last thing you want is a world where uh, art style can be copyrighted or like you know or you could get sued for using an art style because you know if you're gonna you know if you're gonna go after a corporation for using your art style that means corporations could go after people for using an art style you know so at the end of the day if I see a commercial using my style I'll just be like flattered. And move on, you know? <laughs> so would you ever work with a Sprite or a weather? I don't know why I keep mentioning Sprite, but <laughs> is that something where yeah, like... Is this podcast sponsored by Sprite? Yeah, we. I, I've been drinking uh, Sprite this entire time. No, I am. Uh, I'm actually. You know, let's let's break down the fourth wall a little bit. I'm I'm drinking some PG Tips tea. I, I actually just finished it, and I have a glass of what I call water. Which is uh, a new drink that I'm working on. It's a it's <laughs> well, a formula. Are you sure you want to say this? Are you sure you want this information to get out there? I don't want water getting out there. I it's it's very. I mean, this is this is like state of the art. I feel like a civilization could you know come together because of it. It's that seismic a uh, creation. Yeah, just uh, hold off on talking too much about that. You don't want your secrets getting out there. That's true. So is that something do our fans going to need to like worry like is Joel going to sell out are you are you only going to work on your own stuff are you ever going to work on something commercial like what's what are you comfortable with Well so far I've gotten you know I've gotten emails from so many different companies you know I've gotten emails from all the classic YouTube sponsors like VPNs and uh you know like Squarespace stuff like that but then uh, I I got like a email from Microsoft and Xbox the other day. I don't know what they'd want to do with me. But I, right now it, it comes back to like I'm incapable of being disingenuine and taking sponsors like that requires you to be disingenuine. And I, I, I'm not sure if I have that in me. You know, I'm not sure if I have it in me to Xbox has their new game pass and, you know, you read their script or whatever. And I, I wish I was... In some ways, because it'd be such easy money, you know, if I just... And the exception would be if there's companies that allow me to just say whatever I want. Which I don't know why they don't do that. They, like, anytime a company is, like, cool and just lets artists fuck around, like, that's the moment that, like, um, people start to become endeared to them. You know, like that's why people like Old Spice commercials, because they're, you know, they're weird and they're, like, they're, they're not, like giving you the logistical breakdown of the mechanical, the chemical composition of Old Spice. They're just being something goofy to laugh at. And so in the event that a company comes to me and they're just like, just just mention our product, but do whatever the hell you want with it. I could see myself taking a sponsor and just going crazy, maybe even animating it. And like, I, I think that's a fun idea, but I don't like the idea of ending a video. It just doesn't work in the short film context to end a video with me just suddenly on screen. Like, thanks for watching the short guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for spew VPN. They spew on your computer. You know, like, I couldn't do that. 
Yeah, that's the that's the stuff that I really can't stand about YouTube in general. Like me is just a person that's choosing what entertainment I want to watch. You know, I'm I'm more often just going to watch, you know, a DVD or something where like I don't have to worry about being sold anything to, you know, other than like, you know, the you wouldn't steal a car, you wouldn't steal a computer at the beginning or whatever. But I I just don't like the being sold to aspect of YouTube. Especially because my fondest memories of YouTube was before all of that stuff. That's how I got started. That's how I, you know, kind of figured out how to use a camera and all that. I'm 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 indebted to YouTube in that way and I love that it was what it was. And I feel like you're you're definitely a return to that. And a, a lot of the other accounts that you've been highlighting, which is which is one of the great parts about your success right now, is that you've you've been able to shine a light on these guys that that you've been really digging um what are some of those accounts that like that that you think really needs a spotlight and just to list them off the you know haunted wi-fi those guys are doing some hilarious like fish eye skits uh noke eric uh n-o-k-e-r-i-c he does these chaotic skits and uh his friend mammoth in space there's a, so many good ones in my 100,000 subscriber milestone. I kind of go through the whole list so you people could check that out if they want. That's great. And um as far as like your feature films, you you, you release them straight onto YouTube. There's no, you know, I, I don't think you've ever put them on any other platform, right? They were initially on Vimeo because I got all in my head like, "Oh no, Google's going to own my movie or something." And <laughs> that but then I just got over it because I was like, the movie's free. What the hell is Google going to do with it? You know, or what? So, you know, I love YouTube. And we met through my uh, met through my movie Island when I released that in uh, 20. What was it? 2019. Yeah. When I released it at the start of 2019, you reached out. Then I watched your films and I really love those. And that's kind of how we connected. And uh that was around the same time I started to post everything on my YouTube. I started my weekly shorts and I also brought all my old features back and decided to put all my future features on YouTube. Yeah, the way that I found you, I guess that we found each other was that, you know, you had posted on, I guess, the Reddit for filmmakers, you had posted the the trailer for Island. And I'd been kind of looking around on Reddit filmmakers, seeing what's out there. And I remember watching your trailer, just clicking it, seeing what it was. And there was so much artistry there. And it really struck me that like this was something that was interesting and different. And I wanted to see what the movie was. And just the, the weird culture at the time, I haven't been on that, that subreddit in quite a while, but there was just this like energy there where it wasn't that encouraging as far as like art it was more focused on like technical aspects and like which camera to get anyone that promoted their own stuff it was seen as like gross that like you were promoting your own stuff but like we're all in this together so why even why even take that attitude with it but like I I looked at your thing and I was like why isn't why doesn't this have like a hundred likes why does like something have like a hundred upvotes where like it's you know, somebody, you know, like my, somebody says like my DP reel and it shots of like a wheat field at golden hour. Yes. Like yes. Two, two thousand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it well, you know, Reddit filmmakers, it's kind of like a, 
the uh, I don't want to generalize because I know there's a lot of genuinely passionate people everywhere and uh, they just get in the communities because it's like, oh, filmmaking, I like that, you know, but, you know, it it is kind of like a breeding pool for that techie film bro type that are like, you know, just dying to be in the industry. And uh, you and me are like, the last thing we want is to be in the industry. And uh, I, I think uh, I, I always use this example because when I made that movie Island, which is a feature length film I shot alone, uh, I put that on the filmmakers subreddit and it did like a, maybe a couple, maybe d- couple dozen, maybe it hit a hundred upvotes. And then at the same time I did an AMA on like ask Reddit or whatever, not, not ask Reddit, just the AMA, ask me anything. I did one of those and it got like 6,000 upvotes and that is just costing a, casting such a broad net. And that's this moment I realized like these film people want to perceive each other to be all failing equally. You know, if somebody is succeeding and creating something and going out of their way to just make something themselves rather than wait for the, all the opportunities everyone's waiting for. Like they don't care about that because it makes them look bad. So, but then you reach out to a, you cast a broader net and you reach general audiences and they're like, holy crap, somebody made a movie alone. That's cool. That's inspiring. That's what I could like. It's you reach these people who might want to make a movie, but they only have ever heard of that film bro culture and have kind of pushed away the idea that they could make a movie, you know? And then like, they see something like that and it changes their mind. So I think that shows the duality that the, the Reddit, I don't want to just spend this whole podcast trashing Reddit filmmakers. Cause I haven't been there in forever, <laughs> but it is this duality where, where filmmakers congregate. They, they want each other to be failing equally as long as they're failing, you know, success is like, an enemy in a competitive space like that, you know, because to them, filmmaking is a competition. They're all fighting for the same jobs and opportunities rather than a collaborative art space where as many people can create as possible. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think um, people lose track of why we're all here and why we're actually trying to make movies, which is, you know, at least for people that want to release their stuff themselves and aren't just using it as like a calling card or like a, a real, um, you know, we're trying to make art that hopefully reaches people. And I've always felt that like, you know, the, the masses, so to speak, when given the actual option to even, you know, interact with this new, great, truly independent stuff that comes out, like your stuff, my stuff, Dan Lotz, I mean, we can go through the whole classic list of like the guys, but you know, when they, when it actually reaches them, they're usually very impressed with with what we're doing right off the bat. Whereas like, if you talk to some of your filmmaker friends or film bro types, you know, it's just kind of like, if it's art, it's less impressive than if it's technical in this strange way. And I know, I know people deal with that with like CGI or with video games. I know that every kind of like art, culture that like coincides with technology there's just this weird disconnect there's a fetishization of the expensive and the overcomplicated yes yes absolutely and you know whereas 
you know, the public, they see you shooting a short, like half on VHS uh, camera, half on like a HD camera, and they're like super excited. Whereas like there's some guy who's like, well, he, he should have gotten two cameras that are of the same quality or whatever, like that just kind of like, you know, people can be can miss the the point artistically when they get bogged down with technical aspects completely. But I, I think I think the stuff we do is so much more popular than we tend to realize. And I think, you know, you, you probably had an idea of like, all right, I I make some funny stuff that makes me laugh, my friends laugh, some people on the internet laugh. It's probably going to be this niche thing. I think the um the public is very underexposed to some of the best stuff being done currently, the most interesting stuff whereas like in the 80s and the 90s it feels like a lot of the interesting independent stuff broke through a lot easier and and people kind of had household names uh, as far as Kevin Smith, Spike Lee, Richard Linklater, the list goes on. Whereas like this new wave, we're only starting to break through to wide audiences. And, and Joel Haver is now kind of a household name and will continue to be. And then others as well. And like, we're, we're I feel like we're on this like edge where like, there's going to be this precipitous like kind of up upswing slash drop into crossover into uh the mainstream so to speak kind of like with the simpsons how the simpsons was this like avant-garde kind of like daring cartoon that was on the tracy ullman show that was just kind of like slapdash and weird and then suddenly it's as american as apple pie i think when you do something that's genuinely new and 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 independent as far as uh, its spirit, it sublimates. It jumps from a gas to a solid really really fast. It it, it just it, the mainstream is ready for it. It just hasn't been exposed to it, and it just becomes something that's 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 very familiar and awesome, and that people feel like has been around forever. Kind of like Tim and Eric, perfect example. Tim and Eric was this just weird, you know, duo that was doing odd videos on the internet and then suddenly they're they are associated with live action adult swim. You know, you can't separate the two. They they kind of made that, you know, ship that now you have Eric Andre and and many others, you know, kind of like carrying on from there. Have you noticed any any kind of like gratefulness because i feel like i that's that's the thing that i see the most is like people are so grateful to have encountered what you're doing yeah i mean i'm always like i'm amazed how overwhelmingly positive my comment sections are you know uh, i i'm a i've always been an optimistic guy but even i'll admit the internet can be pretty nasty and vile and you know you you'll always have those comments that are like go die but <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I, there is a lot of appreciativeness and I, I think it's, um, like you said, I had no idea this would ever go as big as it did. I, I felt like a lot of my content was pretty niche, you know, there is some of it that's more accessible, but I think there's still like a nicheness to the awkwardness, the humanness, but then overnight, uh, overnight, 
uh, figuratively, it was more like over a couple of months. I'm on my way to a million subscribers and, you know, everyone's watching this stuff and everyone's like loving it. And I think it's, uh, I think it's exciting because people hadn't been shown that you can do something like I'm doing in the YouTube sphere and have it work. Cause yes, my stuff is sketch comedy in a lot of ways that, you know, um, and sketch comedy has thrived on YouTube since the beginning, but I don't think my stuff isn't that sort of punchline humor. You know, there's not one joke in the video and it ends or there's not one point. My stuff has like a character and a tone and a feel and like there's a through line and there's like sometimes it'll hit multiple points or like this, uh, like uh, just defy your expectations and go a totally different way and then go on a whole tangent with that. And I think there's just more of a world in my f- stuff. And that, that's why I call it films. And I think I even think vlogs and sketch comedy at its most basic are all films. Everything's film at the end of the day, because once you start drawing arbitrary lines, you you just become the gatekeeper and the asshole. And, you know, so but I I make an express point of calling them films because not everything I make is going to be that laugh out loud funny, you know, and. And I think that's what people are connecting with because they know YouTube. They know how to post on YouTube. They know how to interact on YouTube, how to subscribe. YouTube is this language we all learn just by existing in this day and age. And uh, I think all that it was missing was somebody creating something a little more, you know, meaningful or deeper. And I don't, I know a lot of my stuff is pretty surface level and dumb, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that isn't that as, at the same time. And, I think all they're missing now, they know how to post, they know how to comment. All they're missing is how do I make stuff like this? And then, you know, you create a video like the animation tutorial or I've made one where I show how I make a movie alone. That's a video on my channel. And you, once you give them those tools, they're like, like this guy's not doing anything I can't do. You know, the, the only difference is I have the experience. So obviously like I have the, the built up skills over the year from doing this for a decade, like I think uh, 15 years now or something. But, you know, they, they realize they have the tools to do everything. They have the tools to create and post and maybe even succeed and make money, you know, and make a career out of it. So they don't have to do anything else. And I, you see people connect with that because They didn't want, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who saw the YouTube that you're seeing, like the one that turns you away, the, the corporatized sponsor driven YouTube. And people were seeing that and they're like, I don't have what it takes to be, you know, that like that fake on camera or that, you know, accepting sponsor money. I don't have that in me, but then somebody like me succeeding shows them, well, I do have it in me to be myself and I do have it in me to to uh, be honest and to be genuine and uh, I, and maybe that is enough that people need that maybe that's the thing people needed to really give them that final push. And I, I hope and like, I've seen a lot of people saying I've, I've inspired them and this sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but that that's really my goal in filmmaking more than, you know, more than like make a great film or like, 
get billions of people to watch my stuff. My goal is to get other people to start making stuff because, you know, I, I'm the opposite of that competitive nature. I'm the guy who has has seen how much filmmaking can help me and make me feel better. And even in my saddest, loneliest times, I could turn on the camera and make myself laugh. And that's like really powerful. And I want other people to have that creative output. Maybe it's not film, but maybe my stuff can show them that creating and sharing your creations offers some sort of catharsis that maybe you're lacking. Maybe it's the thing people are missing that is keeping them from being truly happy or in uh, life. Yeah, very well said. I, I feel like there's definitely a, a quality to your work where people want to revisit it for its vibe. So like a particular video, I, I've seen people will watch many times and just keep coming back to just because they're chasing an energy that they really appreciated from that particular video which I think I think that's something that's very underrated in comedy because some of my favorite comedic uh, performances or, or favorite comedy movies, you know, I just want to throw on for vibe, not necessarily to, you know, laugh my head off. I just like the energy and I miss that energy. And so you have that Joel energy that's in everything, but you also have these individual energies in each of your short films that people can return to if they connect to which is really important and i would hope that you know anybody influenced by what you're doing gets influenced by that aspect as well to to make sure that you know a particular short film or a feature film or whatever has an energy that can be returned to and might be desirable in that way where like you're creating a a a consistent energy for the duration of what you're watching that somebody can settle into i i've noticed that like People have been really responding to uh, "Pretend That You Love Me," your your film, which is your most recent film. Which I watched that movie. I loved it. I, I thought it was a tremendous film. But not once when I was watching it did I think, "Oh, this this is going to be a huge like mainstream hit. Like people are going yeah. to connect with this." so hard i i thought this was like all right this is one of these niche movies that i love i think is amazing but it'll be like pulling teeth to get anybody else to watch it people in the comments are losing their minds over this movie in the best way possible they adore this film and it seems like it's the first film for a lot of people first feature film of yours that people are connecting with and watching and that's their their entry point have you been surprised by the response to that one in particular? And I mean, people are people are pouring their hearts out in the comments. I hope you're you're seeing some of those because you know this this is a a seismic kind of film for a lot of people. Yeah, no, I've definitely seen them. I, I wish I had the time and energy to respond to everyone, but I read of all the comment sections on all my videos, that's the one I'm most active reading and looking at and harding comments and liking comments because it has been that that for me is the biggest and best surprise to come out of all of this, you know, because that was my uh, that was my insane lunatic thesis that I was pursuing all these years that you can you can do weekly goofy stupid uploads to kind of attract an audience make people laugh make yourself laugh and then you could also create these weird intensely personal experimental 
features and some of that audience will spill over and I think pretend that you love me is just the first proof that that thesis works, you know, that, you know, people get to know you through your comedy and then they see this other thing you do and they connect with that perhaps even more on a totally different way because they feel like they already know you. And, um, yeah, I was so shocked because that movie to me is not accessible. You know, it's not, it's, it's, uh, I think it's like, you know, deeply human and very uh, relatable for those reasons. But I also know it's very long-winded and there's a, a lot of long takes and long scenes that people aren't used to seeing in their media. And I, I, I'm just, you know, it, it, that the fact that it has proven that there's an audience online for not only dramatic feature films, but ones that push the medium in a new direction and show people a new way of creating it, that that is the most exciting thing in the world for me because that's what I love. I love filmmaking uh, in that sphere. I love feature length, no budget filmmaking. And I know you do too. You make a lot of great movies and it's this sphere that is so much more personal and so much more, immediately real or immediately truthful than what most people have been sold all their lives. And, you know, seeing, I it just hit like 200,000 views the other day and seeing all those comments is just this, like this beacon of light that there are huge things to come for no budget filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. I went through a similar thing with my film Ramekin where you know, when I when I first finished that movie, I thought, all right, people are going to love this movie. This is going to be a huge hit. Th this is going to be my breakthrough film, so to speak. And then I went the festival route, route, which is a really, it's a really weird route. And it's 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 funny because when you finish a movie, the first thing people say is, oh, what festivals are you submitting to? And I, when I say people, I mean people that are in the industry, people that are out of the industry, people that know what they're talking about, people that don't know what they're talking about. It's always festivals, 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 or at least that's how it's been up until now. So, you know, I finished that movie. I was like, man, I'm going to submit this to a bunch of festivals. I'm going to get into like at least half of them. Like I, I this is going to do so well. It's going to win awards. It's going to, it's going to be amazing because I know this is like such a singular weird movie and people are going to love it. So I submitted to festivals. I chose them pretty well, I felt. And I got into like two or three of like 30 or 40 that I submitted to. <laughs> and I was like, man, like, was I wrong? Like, am I, is this like way ahead of its time, this movie? Is this not going to connect with people ever? Like, what, what did I get wrong? Are these festivals corrupt? Because some of them are. Some of them, they just pick the movies ahead of time or they grab them from like whatever the bigger festivals are doing. And then they, it, it, it there's a whole rigmarole with that that we can get into. But the point being that, you know, I, th I eventually I just threw up the movie on Amazon Prime and it hit like crazy. Like people, people were like, oh my God, this is the weirdest, coolest, strangest, tiniest movie I've ever seen. People from all over the world, even though it was only available on like Amazon US and UK, I guess people would use like, you know, whatever sneaky ways to watch whatever other uh, Amazons. 
but like people were, were responding to it like crazy and it made me realize that like people are way cooler and hipper than they get credit from like commercial studios or whatever like the major studios and i'm including like the major indies or whatever they they look down on the masses like oh they're never going to be into like weird crazy stuff like it'll always have to like have one foot in something they that's familiar to them etc and the thing that i'm learning from my own stuff your stuff etc is that people are down to go with you on the journey if they have like even like a modicum of like a way in like as long as they can dip a toe into the water you know they want something different they want something interesting and the the guys that say they don't are wrong like the guys that mm. say they only want transformers movies are full of it like they want ramekin they want pretend that you love me they want any number of weird thing they're not going to be sold it you know they're not going to be able to go to a a movie theater and pick that but when it comes their way whether it be on Amazon Prime or it be on YouTube they're 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 on board they they are ready to go and it it makes me feel less alone as an artist so to speak cuz suddenly it's not like oh only artists get me it's like man anybody can get anything and they just need to know it exists like if they don't know you exist how can you say that like you're only for like a specific niche like that that's me talking to myself you know that's <laughs> that's yeah. that's me talking to this idea i had of like my place in uh filmmaking and i think that's i i'm i'm relating now to a lot of other filmmakers that became huge filmmakers so like i'm realizing that like this is just what everybody goes through where you don't know how big you are until everybody gets a chance to actually engage with your stuff. And, you know, more often than not, if you're making something interesting and good, the audience is out there and it's way bigger than you realize. So it's like, just make the thing and make it to your standards and put it out there. And there will be an audience for it if if it really is what it is if it if it's if it's you trying to get a job in hollywood it's going to read as that and it, people won't be able to connect with it people people can spot that a mile away but if it if it's something singular it has a big audience out there that that's that's my opinion as far as as yeah. what we're doing yeah i've always said that the festival circuit is just one big discouragement machine and it is partially because of uh, what you've talked about, where there is a lot of rigged festivals where three quarters or even like 90% of their films are already like slotted beforehand. So, you, but you're, so you're competing for like five slots. So I always say at the end of the day, there's just not any room in that space. You know, you, there, there's value in a small town festival or like, you know, hanging out in a, you know, a, a venue and watching movies together. That's fun. But the Sundance, uh, TIFF, Venice, uh, you know, Cannes, that whole sphere is so commercialized and so disinterested in uplifting actual interesting new films. It's it's purely a business. It's a marketplace, you know. And, and I, I think, 
you, people being told, like you said, everyone's first question is what festivals, and that then um you know the people who might not even have considered submitting their film to a festival, are like oh shit, now I got to submit it to a festival because that's the only path they're sold you know they're they're sold this path to you know sell your film rather than to own your film and get it out there quickly you have to sit on it for months and you know you said you submitted to 30 40 festivals that those uh submission fees add up especially if you're making a movie for zero dollars or a hundred dollars or five hundred you know the submission fees can be bigger than the budget of the movie and at that point you should ask yourself like is this worth it? And I could guarantee you 99% of the time it is not worth it. And there is this uh, huge encouragement, like you're saying, that people do want stuff and it's not part of this other thing. It's not part of this theatrical industry, you know. It's it's its own thing and it's, it's, uh, and people seeing that and connecting with that is kind of what you and I have been working towards, you know, because I also like my first couple features, at least we are Sasquatch 31 days in Marshall. I tried them in a couple festivals. I submitted them and got rejected inevitably. And, you know, and I think that's, that was our path. You know, you get rejected to find out that you don't want to be there, you know? And I, I think, uh, more and more people are going to do that because films are easier to make than ever and colleges are accepting more film students than ever. So we're just going to have all these people, the people who are really passionate and driven, who are making stuff themselves, kind of getting discouraged by this classical system and then finding the other thing. And then you and me can be these, uh, these, uh, like guide lights, like that people follow, like, uh, Oh my God, here's a movie that did really well. And it never was in any festivals. And, you know, pretend that you love me i released it the i think the day after i finished it you know there's none of that bullshit of sending a private link to festivals and maintaining the premiere status so you know so that they can have the premiere and they have that poll and it's like yeah but that's six months where this film you've created is being sat on rather than watched and having an opportunity to be engaged with and embraced by this whole new world of films and um i i think uh i think people more and more and more are gonna see that realize that and if one out of every hundred people that watch ramekin or or pretend that you love me if one out of every hundred of them is encouraged to go out and make their own feature we're gonna have thousands and thousands of features in the work and they're not going to turn to festivals first. And there's going to be some damn good ones to come out of that, you know? Yeah, there's, I mean, I'm I'm in this, like, place now where, like, I'm fully convinced that, like, the best movies that I'm going to see are going to be truly independently made, like, for the, for the rest of my life. Like, as far as, like, there, I feel like there's, like, this tipping point where, like, if I were to predict what my favorite movies are going to be in like 10 years 20 years 30 years it's going to be people doing it the way that we're doing it it's not going to be like the big studio movies i feel like that that option is just going to be more uninteresting for anybody that's getting into making movies you know it's already uninteresting because hollywood is crazy but like 
once they once they see the examples and the examples become not just me, you, but like a hundred other guys that are just do and and women and whoever else, like everybody can upload a movie and just release it and own that release and be like, yeah, the premiere is with me. You know, the premiere isn't at Sundance. The premiere is at Joel Haver's YouTube. The premiere is at Cody Clark's YouTube. Like that kind of thing. Like I feel like a premiere has a lot of weight, you know, like where somebody first sees something, you want to own that. You want you want to control that experience and what better place than your own channel, right? So there's going to be hundreds of us and you know, all my favorite movies are going to be truly independent in like 10 years, 20 years. Like that's just what it's going to be. Everybody interesting is going to be doing that and releasing it themselves. And will there be crap as well, just like there's crap Hollywood movies? Absolutely. But I would rather watch a crappy, truly independent film any day of the week than a crappy Hollywood movie because, like, if somebody's crappy at their execution and it's their own execution, that has a certain charm to it. When it's when it's a bad movie and it was cobbled together by like studio notes and like weird product placement and any number of things, where like nobody's heart is in it everybody's just doing it for the money uh it's for some foreign market that has nothing to do with anything it it, like all these like weird things that are problems they just make a movie so uninteresting to me like even if it's like so bad it's so good or whatever like i want to see a singular so bad it's so good like that's kind of why like tommy wiseau like the room hit because it was it was a one man's vision and it was you're connecting with that above anything else like this is this is a movie that the room couldn't have been made by a studio it's uncompromised yes yes it's it's his movie it's his vision of america in a in a very interesting way it's his idea of football and friendship and betrayal and all this stuff that's like, it's so personal. And when people talk about like, oh, it's the worst movie ever made, it's like, at the very least, it's somebody's vision. And you can, nobody can ever take that away from it. And obviously, it's, you know, one of the most successful, quote unquote, bad movies of all time. But I think as, as time goes by, the you know giggling at it and laughing at it aspect is going to drift away and we're going to see its place in filmmaking much like we see you know David Lynch's place in filmmaking or any any weird filmmaker a Harmony Korine or whatever you know i i do i i do think that like it's interesting when somebody does something intentionally but i think it's just is interesting when somebody does something unintentionally and stumbles on gold that way. You know, like he obviously stumbled on comedic gold in a way that he didn't intend, but it's still comedic gold. And there's more than one way to skin a cat, just like, you know, I I'm I'm more of a writer, you're more of an improviser. You know, we're we're both going for the same thing, but we have different ways of doing it. So I would say to anybody that's like influenced by me or you or this movement the truly independent film movement or you know whatever you want to call it just people making zero budget stuff you know 
do don't be afraid to do something different than you intended don't be afraid to be bad like just be singular just be yourself man just like and, and you got to follow your you got to follow your happy accidents oh absolutely and it happens to everybody like it happens to George Lucas it happens to Scorsese it happens to any anyone that you want to hold as like some weird barometer of like blockbuster success or hollywood success everybody's figuring out a film as it goes on in the editing room, in making it, in whatever. I hate this linear idea of filmmaking where it's like, oh, I have to plan out every single shot. You know, every I have to know the exact film I'm making before I even make it. It's like, no, the, se- the secret is in finding it. It's utterly uninteresting to have everything planned out. And I think that's where... You know, I'll, I will always love Wes Anderson. His films are so fun and watchable, and there's a there's a lot of heart. But at the same time, like something like Isle of Dogs, I had kind of a falling out with because I was like, God, there's just so much precision and control. Where was where was the thing? Where was the thing he he like had to sacrifice? Where was the thing he had to like? You know, he accidentally stumbled upon while filming. I mean, Isle of Dogs is sp- specifically. Uh, over the top because he literally could control every single frame you know and animation is different for that reason but i think uh people are too concerned about having complete control and uh, the best films and the best moments in films happen often by accident or by circumstance or it's something like my films aren't planned whatsoever you know my features uh the the last one I the one and only one I planned had a script and the that was taking a little time to feel sorry for myself and all the other ones were made up as they went and I think all the best moments in those films weren't things I could have accounted for at the start of thinking about them or at the start of uh, starting shooting them. Yeah, it's the film needs to kind of have a say in what it gets to be. I feel like. And the best way for it to like the film to chime in is to just let it at least some aspects figure themselves out as it goes. You know, my films are all very written uh, for the most part, you know, aside from like, you know, stuff where there's obvious improv or, or documentary or whatever. But like, you know, I in a given scene, if something isn't working, I'll move something around. I'll, I'll put like the middle part of the scene in the beginning as far as like, and I'm not talking about editing. I'm talking about just like acting and rehearsing with the, uh, the actors. Like I, I will let, I will let the scene dictate itself. Cause like at best, my screenplay is just an idea. You know, it's yeah. just, <laughs> it's just me saying like, Hey, the film could be cool if it's this. But I've been around the block and I know that like, all right, when we get on set, maybe that isn't going to be what the film actually is. Like that's that's me being beholden to the muse and to the universe as far as like how this film is going to unfold. So I feel like rigidness is something to to definitely avoid because it, it that's when you get like egotistical films that just don't really work or whatever, where it's like, clearly somebody had an idea of like what we're going to make and they held firm to that, even though everything was telling them it's something else that like, and it never gets to find itself, unfortunately. 
I think uh, it really happens in the no budget sphere where you don't even have the chance to have that luxury of planning ahead, you know, because even uh, I helped you film a couple scenes on your film Strummer and, you know, you, we're just going to the actress's apartments and you don't know what's going to be there. So you can't plan every shot. You can't plan the lighting. You just, you know, wing it. You set up the camera and it, it winds up looking great because in a lot of ways that kind of winging it adds a beauty to it rather than all this planning, you know, planning kind of becomes, like you said, rigid and takes away from the potential beauty of just not having control. Yeah. With every, with every scene in, in Strummer that takes place in some other place besides my apartment, I had only set foot there right on the day of filming. That was kind of my rule to keep it spontaneous and keep it interesting. Like if I'm if I'm shooting at a girl's apartment, I've never been there before. I wanted to make sure that like I don't even know what the place looks like. You know, I walk in, I see what shots are possible, and that's just what we're doing. That that was something that I was I was really happy with as a choice. And I'm I, I hope more people do things that way where like don't even give yourself the option of like figuring out some aspect like always keep something like really spontaneous and weird what was um what was your takeaways from working with me uh helping me out on strummer because you 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 weren't there for every single shoot you were there for some of the shoots but you were really helpful as far as like you know doing a little bit of camera operating pressing record pressing record on the audio but like just your your vibe in general it helped to have another filmmaker there that just kind of, you know, got what I was doing and and what what did you absorb or that you remember from those days of me shooting that? I think it it was just refreshing because you know there was this point where you and I were probably because I think that was before Ramekin really took off and I, I it was a a point where you and I felt kind of alone and this filmmaking world you know we the like we just did it our own way and it felt like the world was crazy or something and then filming with you was just this nice moment where it's like here's someone else who's just winging it and not over planning and not getting a 20 person crew for a shoot that doesn't even need two people you know the it it, it was refreshing to just see someone else creating in this way that feel so good for my own work yeah i would always rather be on a set like that than any other set man like the if, if somebody's inviting me to like hang out or like help out on a film and i know that it's going to be one of those like 20 people standing around things for like 18 hours or whatever i would i would rather be anywhere else in the world even if i like their films and what they're doing i just don't want to be a part of that energy but if i know it's going to be like a handful of people at most and everybody there is going to be doing something very specific and doing a million things with what they're doing rather than like, Hey, you can't touch that light. You're not a lighting guy or Hey, you can't move that chair. You're not a moving a chair guy, you know, like all that, all that stupid arbitrary stuff. If it, if it's going to be something fun, like the kind of movies you make, like that's, that's something I would always want to be a part of. That's something that like, you know, when when people watch your shorts, 
your live action ones particularly because I I haven't been around for the animation ones. I, I haven't been in any of them, but I've been in a couple of your live action ones. I hope people realize like how truly free what you do is. Like yeah, when we sat down to do like let's say the um, the Duke one, which has been doing really well on there. Yeah, the the heads up, this guy is really weird. That's the title. Every every single one of those Duke isms that you came out with, you were just coming out with, and we would play with those and see where they went. And uh, there was so much freedom on my part, on Chloe's part, on your part, like that we could have gone absolutely anywhere. And only in editing, only in you sitting down with it later, does it become this like very specific thing mm. that you've figured out. What, as far as like editing, is it like eighty percent that you of your time is editing compared to like twenty percent shooting? Like, what's what's the breakdown as far as like how much time it takes to edit any one of these short films? I'm sure some take longer than others, but like especially the animations. But if some if somebody's like, hey, I want to do some Joel shorts, what can they expect as far as like time spent editing versus time spent shooting? Well. I'm a huge advocate of having the most efficient set in the world. And I hate even calling it a set because I don't want my feel. I want them to feel more like your friends are goofing around and there's a camera set up. It's, I don't want it to be like you're on set, quiet on set. But my, my, uh, my goal is to have it be as, as efficient as possible. Just get what you need and have fun. Don't ever make it a slog. Don't ever set up light. Like I hate lighting. I don't do any lighting. <laughs> I, I use available lights, you know, I'll have lamps and stuff. Well, you have those two charming, uh, like cardboard lights that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have one light with cardboard on it and those are wonderful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you have an, a as a if you make it so that you're efficient and you're not wasting people's time, that's going to come across on film and you're going to shooting is not even going to be a tenth of the process, you know, which is encouraging to some and discouraging to others cuz some people hate editing, but like yeah, on average, you know, like a short will take an hour to two to film at most, and that's including meeting up and you know coming up with the idea and shooting it that will take probably one to two hours and then a live action short will take six to 12 hours to edit usually depending on the length and then the animation's a whole different ballpark you know animation it takes an hour to film and 40 hours to <laughs> animate and edit 40s uh the longest one was the second playing an rpg for the second time that took 70 hours to animate or something so it's a, it's a big uh difference there's a lot of time in isolation and filmmaking especially truly independent filmmaking where you do everything yourself there's a lot of time just on a computer looking at the footage turning it into something and when you when you edit what are you looking for are you going linearly straight through and then doubling back and like trying to figure out stuff or like what what's your all right, I'm sitting down and I'm looking at this footage. What am what are you looking for, do you think? Uh I, you it it's so different from film to film, but you know, usually I just run I I improvise from a lot of angles. You know, I get a shot reverse shot, a, like a, a a wide shot of both both people or all the people, uh, 
you know, I, I get, I, I run the whole scene and we like change it up in every shot and we, and then, um, from there you go through each full take of the scene and find the, the best lines, the best clips. And I think that is the biggest skill of all that can't be like, that takes the most practice of anything, being able to go through an hour or two of like almost sometimes nonsense footage and having a vision as you go, you know, every time you hear a line, you like, you got to remember it. Cause you're also looking for the responses and you're looking for, you know, what could lead into it. And you're looking for like, how do I make a new joke out of this? How do I, so the editing is such a huge part of it that can't be, can't be underrated, but it's, it's also the longest, most tedious part. And it's, it takes uh practice. It takes practice. When you shoot something, have you had experiences where like you shoot a, a short and you haven't looked at the footage yet and you're like, man, this one's going to be like the one. And then maybe you get into editing and you're like, this is the one that takes the most time because the things that you thought work just aren't working. And have had you, have you had ones where like you were just like, all right, yeah, we shot that one. And then you look in editing and you just find the gold right away. Like what, what, what's your, what's your vibe? What's your feeling after you finish? Do you get excited about ones? Do you just kind of forget it and then like, you know, do something else and then just look at it with fresh eyes? Like what's, what, what's that vibe? It's very much a case by case basis because more times than not, if I, if I'm confident about one ending it, like I'm like, yeah, this is great. It's, it turns out great, you know, but the experience I have more often uh, is that I shoot one and I'm like, ah, this one's okay. You know, I shoot one and I'm like, ah, this one will do okay. This is fine. And then in editing, like, I've never had it not turn into something. You know, it's, it might not be the best. It might not be in the top 50 on the channel, like the best of the best. But, you know, I, I've i never had a film not turn into something that at least makes me laugh once or twice or or at least has a like fulfilling like start beginning middle and end i think a lot of that just comes from experience but also just confidence confidence in the fact that you and your friends are funny you know you, the the confidence that like my friends make me laugh i make my friends laugh so if we record something it's bound to make other people laugh you know <laughs> other people with the same sense of humor so i uh, yeah i it's too hard to say like if there's a consistency to it, but it a lot of the times I'm confident in it and it turns out good. And the times that I'm not confident in it, I could usually turn it around in editing. So with your with your newfound fame to uh, wrap this up, I'm going to give you like just some kind of rapid fire off the top of my head kind of questions pertaining to this because I know it's it's very fascinating to people. You know, a lot of people are going to be like, why aren't you talking more about like the fact that he is close to a million subscribers now, etc. I'll, I'll ask you just some like standard questions. You can give me, you know, yes or no. You can give me like simple what, whatever you want to do with them. Have you been recognized on the street? Uh, only by people because I'm in my hometown. I've only been recognized so far by people who knew me already. You know, people. So no strangers. I no, I bump into people from high school and they go, "Oh, Joel, I saw your YouTube stuff." So that's all I've had so far. I've had some glimpses. I've had some people like look at me and I almost get the feeling that that's what the, why they're looking at me, but 
Uh, nothing straight up confirmed. Like, I know you, dude. So that's a cherry that hasn't been popped yet. Not yet. That's that's gonna be awesome. Like, I can't wait to see like the fan picture with Joel. You know, like the uh, the stopping you at the airport kind of picture. I want to see like 3 a.m. No sleep, Joel. Kind of. You ever see those like celebrity pictures where it's like so obvious they're like you know they they've got no sleep that they're they're at the airport they're like barely conscious <laughs> and, and then some like strangers like smiling huge next to them yeah. <laughs> yeah those are the best those that's my favorite genre of uh celebrity and fan picture okay so you haven't been recognized in the street as far as you know it's just been glances uh this is still something that can happen if you're listening if you're a fan of joel's you can still be the first one (laughs) it's still an opportunity as of uh whatever date march 2nd 2021 all right so next question have you have you been approached by women on the internet that are like joel i love you you are so (laughs) cute you're so adorable i want to just uh fly you out to me and we're just going to have so much love and so much sexual escapades. <laughs> uh, I am obsessed with you like that kind of thing. Has that, has that occurred? Um, hmm, not, not in so many words. Uh, uh <laughs> see, I uh, wanted it verbatim. I wanted every, <laughs> every word uh, that I said, I, I wanted know. that to be, yeah. You know, I've never had, uh, you know, growing up, I was kind of a dork. I played video games most of my childhood and wasn't, you know, so, you know, I kind of have this, uh, you know, strange perception of myself where I don't know where I stand. And in some ways it has been a nice confidence boost to see, you know, some girls reaching out to say they think I'm cute or leaving comments. And I'm like, Hey, Hey, that's a nice, it's a nice feeling. So there is a little of that. Uh, nothing's uh, I'm not in any position especially with a pandemic to do anything about it so I'm just like thank you and have a nice day (laughs) that's kind of convenient that's kind of like you know a good you know it reigns you in the kind of uh the pandemic aspect to now yeah it reigns in my sexual (laughs) energy Yeah, you're not you're not out clubbing. You're not being <laughs> photographed with like Jay Z and like all that. We're not like sick of you in that aspect because you're not doing that kind of thing. I I do want to see Club Joel though. I wa- <laughs> I want to see like w- there, there's going to be pictures eventually of like you out oh, with yeah. like a fellow your fellow famous like people. Do you remember like I don't know if you this even the Rat Pack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. There, there's the Rat Pack, but then there's also. Do you remember like the Leonardo DiCaprio, David Blaine? Um, it was. I think it's called the Pussy Posse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Toby Maguire, I think, was in it. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. See, I, I need like the Pussy Posse thing where like it's just inexplicably you and like <laughs> you know like whoever else. It might even just be Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, it's coming soon. It's coming soon. He's kind. He kind of aims in my age range anyway, so we might get along. <laughs> exactly. All right. So next question: Have you had offers as far as acting in any major stuff? uh any, any or any, any like hollywood attention in that regard and you don't have to be specific you can be vague about stuff no not acting and not in general either not really so no no hollywood specifically type of attention uh, you know yeah nothing really mostly in- internet kind of stuff yeah okay so you're not you're not going to be in the next you know 
you know, Judd Apatow thing just yet. There's there's still going to be a delay. I always say that is my exception. I would never direct a movie for Hollywood, but the way actors are pampered and you get a nice payday, you just you take it pretty easy. You just have to deliver some lines. I would act in like a Marvel movie in a second. You know, I would be some dumbass superhero in a second just because <laughs> it would be so easy and fun and you know, you know, boohoo! It's so it's so hard being fucking fucking tony stark or whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh hollywood i'm trying to say i I think i'm like out of those type of questions have you have you made a million dollars yet (laughs) not even close i i am earning a living and that's that's great that's nice yeah you know um, that's what it should be oh yeah i i start to understand why people take the sponsorships and stuff because you know youtube like YouTube ad revenue and Patreon, just that alone is enough to support one person. You know, luckily I'm mostly a one man operation when it comes to everything except the shooting. You know, I shoot with my friends, but editing, channel management, all that is all me. So I could support myself. But if you're starting to even look at supporting like two or three or four people, I don't blame you for taking a, you know, like a, Squarespace sponsor every now and then if it means you get to pocket a couple thousand or ten thousand bucks or something. All right, let me kind of rack my brain if I have any other like stupid questions. Um, I think I think I might have a segment like at the end of my episodes because I'm still figuring out the show, but like just for the stupidest questions (laughs) possible. I think it's a good idea. Those were good questions. It just breaks the ice as far as like the end, and it gives people something to look forward to, like. People that listen to something are like, why isn't he asking that? Like, then they get that at the very end. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I have one more thing for you. And I know this this podcast has just been entirely you and me agreeing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we have one difference between us. And I, I kind of want to grill you on this just for a second. Absolutely. And, that, and that's why Amazon over YouTube? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So uh, YouTube... As we've discussed, YouTube became this other thing in my eyes. Uh, prior to you and what you're doing and discovering uh, that, YouTube, I, I just did not like think was the viable option for feature films. Obviously, I've come around. Uh, I, I, I have bed, my film bed up there, um, which has been getting a lot of attention thanks to you and you shouting it out and saying you dug it. Uh, there have been people that have have posted comments on there like hey i came here from joel i love this movie you know that's been that's been fantastic and i i'm not happy with amazon right now amazon is is taking away it's it's made on demand uh discs at the time yeah at the time we're recording this i can't uh well i i can still do it right now but i in a couple months all my dvds are gonna be gone from amazon which sucks i'm gonna have to find some other option for that i luckily there's there's a couple other places out there that i'm exploring i think i'll be able to put them back out in some form uh physically but yeah i'm 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 not happy with amazon all right so joel great to talk to you again and uh if if you want to check out joel's stuff Go to, I believe it's youtube.com slash making shorts, right? Yeah. yeah I, I might change it to just slash Joel Haver, but it used the channel used to be called Making Shorts, and then I have that linked various places, and now that that's the name, if I change it, it's going to screw it up and, you know, 
anyone who's linked my channel, it's going to make it a defunct link. So, I, but it's making shorts for now. And uh, as far as your Patreon, you're you're almost, you know, you're kind of around like, I guess like 4,000 and you're trying to hit 5,000 because you want to be able to help out some of the people that are in your 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 shorts as well. You want to kind of spread the love and the wealth and all that. So people can visit your Patreon as well and uh, and check that out. And anything else you you want to plug? Anything else you want to say to uh, anybody listening? Uh, nope. Uh, watch some of uh, Cody's movies. If you don't have Amazon, just watch his movie Bad. Uh, Bad is one of my favorites. Strummer might be my favorite. His latest one is probably his most interesting, Attack of the Giant Blurry Finger. So dive on in. Thank you. Thank you for the plug. And I will, I'll, I'll return the favor and say that uh, Pretend That You Love Me is probably my favorite. And that's, that's, that seems to be the waypoint into your features as far as like what people are watching first. But I would encourage people also to watch Island, which is where I discovered Joel and, and fell in love with what he was doing. And we became friends that way. So Island is one that's really important to check out, especially because he did it all himself. It's just... It's just him, you know. It's just pure Joel, and uh, also the uh, I'm I'm gonna get the title wrong. What's the What's the name of the city where you did that? Um, the Thirty One Days. Oh, Thirty One Days in Marshall, North Carolina. Yes, that that's a really crazy one. That's that's more in the spirit of his shorts. Um, so if you that if you, one's one of my favorites. That one, I think uh, that one has this heart. This it's almost like. Through its entertainment, it's a thesis on how anyone can act, anyone can make a movie anywhere, you know, anytime, and you know, and I think that one is per perhaps my strongest at just showing that. Well, yeah, it's like you captured this town and you captured its inhabitants and it, its flavor. This town that you you really hadn't been before, right? No, uh, I knew the one guy. Uh, who let us stay in his place was my cousin's friend who hooked us up with the trailer and we'd never been there. Uh, you know, we never, we, we, we especially never spent a month there, which is what we wound up doing. All right. Thank you for being a part of the first episode ever. Yeah. Thank you. We, we, we'll talk again. Maybe we'll have you on further down the line when I'm like a polished oiled machine and all that. Yeah. Sounds great. I'm happy to kick it off. All right. See you soon. See ya. Thank you all for listening to the very first episode of the Kill the Lion podcast. I've been Cody Clark. That was Joel Haver. And if you like the show, once again, support us, killthelionfilms.com. $2 per month. That's all we're asking. And it helps keep this afloat as far as the podcast and our entire film studio. My film studio, Kill the Lion Films. We do great stuff. You know we do great stuff. Show us some love. Thank you for listening. See you soon.